Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hi and welcome to Stem Cells at Lunch Digested. I'm Serge Junien from the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Today with me is Professor Jürgen Noblik, head of the Noblik Lab and Scientific Director of the Institute of Molecular Biotechnology of the Austrian Academy of, of Sciences in Vienna. Uh, welcome, Jürgen. How are you? Very good. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. No, it's it's our pleasure, really. Uh, we we saw your talk yesterday at the Stem Cells Outline Seminar Series, and it's very nice to have you here today. So, Jürgen, you are a world-renowned expert in the study of brain development, and your lab has been the origin of a really revolutionary technique, the preparation of cerebral uh, organoids. Perhaps I'd like to start by asking you, What is it in the brain that interests you so much and why do you research on the brain? Well, for me, the brain is the most exciting and uh, the most complex, but also really the most fascinating organ that uh, nature has generated. And kind of studying the brain is like studying oneself. And I think that is really uh, fascinating. I actually started my career Uh, in my master's thesis in a neuro, in a hardcore neuroscience lab. But then I did a detour to Drosophila cell cycle research because I met my PhD supervisor, Christian Lehner, who was just a, such a fascinating uh, person that I decided to leave neuroscience and go there. And then for my postdoc, I wanted to do neuroscience uh, and I went to the JAM lab Um But uh, both Ivan and I agreed that I would continue to work on cell cycle and then worked on asymmetric localization of NUM. And then when I started my lab at the IMP, then I want to find, finally wanted to do neuroscience. But then uh, one of the persons that were recruited right after me was Barry Dixon, and I immediately realized that he can do it much better than I can. So I uh, continued to work on asymmetric um, cell division. But then when Madeleine Lancaster in my lab um, invented this cerebral organoid methodology, I felt, okay, now, finally, uh, I've reached the degree of maturity to study the brain. <laughs> it's very it's very interesting that, you, and that you've re replied in this way because I first came across uh, your work regarding the asymmetric cell division of neuroblasts, so the asymmetric segregation of NAMP and all these things. Uh, in, in my lab, we do asymmetric cell division as well. And... I, well, your imprint is all over the is all over the field, so it's difficult not to find your name in in these like massive papers. I understand that you've worked in the past for a long, long time in Drosophila, and this is coupled now with these new techniques, the cerebral organoids, and a lot of in vitro stuff. Uh, so, how do you think Drosophila can can help us understand our own brain? So, I think Drosophila is uh, still for me one of the most important model organisms of all. And uh, I absolutely love the precision with which you can do fly experiments. Now, moving to mammals, um, in, in flies, you know, you do an experiment and you always get a clear answer. And what is even better is that then there's 10 other labs that are going to do the same experiment and they're going to, for sure, come to the same conclusion. Now that is not always true in mouse genetics, and uh, and so 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 and, and I don't know why that is. I I don't think it is anymore the methodology. I think 
you know, mammalian genetics has really evolved and, and it's very precise as well. There is some intrinsic um, design difference. So take the protein that was for a long time very close to my heart, NUMB. In Drosophila, NUMB acts on asymmetric cell division, period, full stop. That's what it does, right? The mammalian system, it acts on, uh, it has a function in the Golgi, it has a function in cell adhesion, has a function in axon specification. Then it has in other organs, it has again different functions. And that shows you mammalian organisms are just so much more evolved that the same machineries are used in very, very different ways in the different tissues. And in Drosophila, you kind of get get the the the, the, the condensate of the essentials. So understanding the function of a protein or a gene in Drosophila gives you a very, very good starting point. And in the mammalian systems, then you can, it's much easier to ask, does a certain gene act in A or B? Or to ask, what does it do? And that's why I think Drosophila has, has really uh, led the way in, in, in many, in many fields. Um, for us, it was, we, 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 we studied asymmetric cell division in Drosophila for a very long time. Then we moved to mammals. Uh, to the mouse, uh, and and we 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 looked at the machinery in mouse brain development, and when Madeleine joined my lab, I mean she wanted to do mouse genetics. That we want to make a, a RNAi screen in mouse cell culture, um, and then we we talked about it and we came to this conclusion that well, why doesn't one do this in in mammals, and then the development of the organoid system, the whole idea to use matrigel and all that, that was truly Marlene's idea. Um, but then in the end, you know, I had to realize that, okay, this, this, I have, uh, after discussing with Marlene when she starts her own lab, after coming to an agreement that how we would divide up the cake, um, I would, uh, I thought if I want to do this, then, 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 then that's the only thing I can do. It's so complicated that you cannot have another fly lab uh, uh, next to it. And so uh, that's why we moved. Yeah, I think, well, I, I work on wind, so we realized that the importance of Drosophila, and we've realized along the way how easier it is to study a lot of the properties that wind has as a protein, as a, as a factor that is distributed throughout the, throughout, throughout the tissues in Drosophila that are impossible to study when you, when you look at them. In, in the mouse and in other in other animals. So yeah, Drosophila is such a powerful machine. I'll, I'll change now topics a little bit, and I'd like to talk about these cerebral organoids. This is the this is the the word that you presented yesterday in the seminar. Uh, could you tell us what they are, what do they do, and what sort of questions can you answer with this technique? Cerebral organoids are simply a three dimensional in vitro cell culture that is grown from pluripotent stem cells. Uh, I'll explain that in a second. Um, and that resembles the three-dimensional architecture of the human brain. Now, what does that mean? Pluripotent stem cells are cells that exist during the very, very early stages of mammalian development. And uh, it's the great work of uh, Shinya Yamanaka, that has allowed us to generate these pluripotent 
stem cells from essentially every human individual, well, whether healthy or um, suffering from um, genetic disorder. And so you can generate these pluripotent stem cells from a patient, and now we have a way to actually recapitulate brain development. Now, cerebral organelles are grown from these uh, pluripotent stem cells by, by, by just aggregating the stem cells together, driving them along differentiation and using a whole complex combination of tissue culture, media, and some extracellular matrix components that are called matrigel. Uh, and then we simply rely on the self-organization um, uh, ability of the mammalian cells. And uh, what you then can do is you you can you can you can grow uh, these tissues from a healthy person and from a patient who suffers from a brain developmental disorder, and then you can study the differences. At the moment, you can only find the difference, study the differences if they are fairly obvious. So you cannot test for differences in whatever intelligence, personality, uh, uh, even neurocircuit architecture or something like this. This is very far uh, in, in, the, in the future. Uh, the organoids resemble the very basic three-dimensional organization, which is the fact that the brain develops in an epithelium around a central lumen. So that's what the organoids also do. And you then find the different layers of the brain, the, zone where the progenitor cells are, where the cells are that are dividing and that are providing the, 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 the cellular, the, the cells that actually make up the brain. And then you can also find the different um, neurons uh, in these um, organisms. But that's about as far as the similarity goes. It's a perfect answer for my next question as well, because I'm interested on in trying to understand how do you see the film moving forward? Uh, now, I have a feeling that in the recent years, the organoid field in general has become uh, more and more complex over time, right? So we're mixing different types of organoids and we're generating more and more complex structures. How do you think this will move forward? How do you envision that the cerebral organoid can can become, a, well, what can become of it? Yeah, so I think you've just mentioned it. They're getting more and more complex. Uh, and I think the reason for it is because organoids are nowhere near a human brain. They're, they're recapitulating some aspects. And for recapitulating aspect A, you need method A. For recapitulating aspect B, you need method B. And, the, and, 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 and so I think there's going to be an increasing complexity of different organoid-based assays or specific processes that are happening in the development of the human brain. I think this is very, very important to, to really understand. The organoid is not a brain. It, it will never be. It cannot be. And it doesn't have to be. It's a model system for a specific process. And um, I think at the moment, what we can recapitulate is proliferation, the formation of neurons, even the temporal identity at different times. The brain makes different types of neurons. 
We have generated systems for different classes of neurons, excitatory and inhibitory neurons, for how they undergo long-range migration. And I think that's where we stand. Uh, I think the future, the future is, 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 is very obvious. I think everyone will have the same kind of uh, feeling. So the next step will be circuits. The next step will be to understand connections between different brain areas. And that will keep us busy for quite some time. And then the next step will be functional processes. Uh, It will not be the entire function, but uh, if you ask me to look forward for 10 years or so, I would not be surprised if you can generate organoids that can perform some learning process. Now, learning not as we know it, that there's a task that is, is learned, but learning as the fact that neuronal input changes the way neurons fire the sensitivity of neurons. I think these kind of things, certainly, and that immediately then goes into processes like addiction. I think they are all, um, uh, they're they, they, they all within reach for organoid models. But every time a separate organoid for one process. I emphasize that so much because I think, you know, a number of people are, 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 are exaggerating and creating unrealistic expectations, saying that uh, organoids are a little bit like a brain or so. No, they're not. They're not. They never be. They're so fundamentally different. And, 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 uh, uh, but but they, they are in vitro systems that recapitulate a particular aspect of the formation of the human brain. And what about different zones of the brain, different areas? How do you see this moving forward? So far, as I, as, as I understand it, I'm not a, in neurobiology in, <laughs> in any level, but as I see, you have a nice cortex being formed. What about other internal areas of the brain uh, or other parts of the brain uh, that are differently formed or developed? Do you see the cerebral organoid being adapted to these different structures? So there are organoid models for almost every part of the human brain. Uh, the cortex is the easiest one to make because it's kind of like the default. Uh, the next uh, kind of more evolved one is the ventral cortex, the ganglionic eminences, medial, lateral, caudal ganglionic eminence. The next one is the midbrain. There's good organoids for the midbrain. Um And then there's a few more exotic ones. There is a protocol for a cerebellar organoid, uh, for hindbrain organoids, uh, for hippocampus organoids. Uh, they are all a bit, they're not used so much. Let me put it this way. Uh, there's just been a paper from the laboratory of uh, Sergio Pasca on an organoid model for the striatum. Uh, so I think these, these, you know, basically, All of these follow the same principle. You start with neuroprogen. You start by pushing the cells towards neural. Then you start by using the exact right cocktail to specify the anterior, posterior, and dorsoventral identity. And then you need to just follow the endogenous trajectory. So this this is the basic principle. There's not much more to it. One thing that is still missing is, I mean, our cortex is gigantic. 
Um, and if you look at functional experiments that are done in neuroscience, they don't use the cortex. They use the somatosensory cortex, or they use the motor cortex, or they use the visual cortex, and that we don't have. I think that would be the next step. Here, here's where I was going with that. I think that, in, in my opinion, uh, and this links the last two questions as well, is the fact that you can combine different types of organoids and let them interact and let's see what happens with them opens the door for having organoids of different parts of the brain and really studying how the connectivity between these regions are is happening, right? So if the next step forward is studying um, the function of the brain on organoids, uh, it'd be really interesting to see how actually the, the coupling and the connection between different areas of the brain is happening even in vitro. Um, my last question, coming back to the usage of these uh, cerebral organoids, <laughs> something that uh, mirrors very nicely what has been done with Drosophila is the capacity or the, the possibility of using these organoids for testing a lot of things at the same time, right? So screens for different drugs or treatments or diseases or mutations that can that can uh, give an idea about uh, or give insight on, on different diseases, right? Uh, I, as I understand it, this is something you are um, working on at the moment. Yeah, so this software geneticist, this has always been my dream, right, to be able to do a genetic screen in human uh, tissues. Uh, and... Uh, uh, and this is actually something that Madeleine wanted to do originally uh, with the organoid uh, system, but then we, 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 we realized it has uh, many other powers. But um, we have started to work on that, and uh, the method that we use is a so-called guide RNA dropout screen. So you basically, the idea is you put guide RNAs into the stem cells that you use to start an organoid, then at some point you activate Cas9, and if a guide RNA targets a cell essential gene, then these cells will no longer proliferate. And in the end, that guide RNA will be depleted. That's a guide RNA dropout screen. And we've, we've, we've used that method together with many other labs here at the Vienna BioCenter. Uh, it turned out to be very complex in, in, an, in an organoid. We need to do a multi-barcode strategy where we basically determine the entire lineage uh, of an, 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 of any organoid that we put into the um, assay, and we call this method CRISPR-Licked, uh, and it was published, uh, it came out in science uh, a couple of weeks um, ago, and I'm, I'm really proud of this because the methodology per se uh, is, is very interesting. We did a proof-of-concept study where we screened through all the genes that have been suspected to cause microcephaly, and we've identified a bunch of very interesting uh, hits. But what I think is great is the potential of this uh, method. You can now apply that method to any organoid that you want. We've had people asking for the system for midbrain organoids, for example. Uh, you can use it in any organoid system, but not only that, you can also use it for every cell type in any organoid system. So I think it really has, has great potential. And uh, to come back to the beginning of our <laughs> uh, chat, uh, I am a strong believer in loss of function genetics. And uh, one purpose was 
of this microcephaly screen, not necessarily to find out the most important microcephaly genes, but also to find out those ones that you can easily study in organoids. And now we have, you know, organoid systems for a whole bunch of microcephaly genes. And I hope that a lot of people will pick up on it and, and will use that, uh, that enormous resource. That's fantastic. Uh, thank you very much. Great work. Uh, and, and it's been great talking to you. Uh, well, yeah, thank you very much, Jürgen, for, for talking to me today. It's been a, a great opportunity to talk to you to uh, take your talk yesterday at the Stem Cells at Lunch uh, seminar. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a true pleasure. And to the Stencils Outlines Digested listeners, this is it for this week, and see you next time. Bye.